This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. As we continue to watch and see how the COVID-19 Omicron variant will affect and infect life in Ontario, we had a very special guest join Fight Back this past Wednesday. You know his voice, and you've seen him on TV as well, as a valuable, reliable, and reassuring contributor during the pandemic. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Advisory Table. Dr. Uni was with me while I was filling in for Libby and took your questions for the entire hour. I'm an epidemiologist and general internist, you know, and uh, I grew up in Switzerland, as most of you know, meanwhile. And this actually all started for me when I was in the student's bookshop uh, in Bern, you know, a small bookshop, and there was this red book by uh, somebody called David Sackett, a Canadian um, who wrote a book about uh, clinical epidemiology at the time. And from my perspective, it was actually really about use your own mind, use your own judgment, and don't just believe the professors. And this really just hijacked me, this book, and I could never let it go again from there onwards. And I just knew I wanted, wanted to become an epidemiologist, did my uh, clinical uh, medicine too, in addition, but was always just having in mind that I would want to uh, do uh, clinical research. And that's actually what happened then. And, you know, years later, I ended up being headhunted to Toronto. Did you ever imagine that you would be at the center of a pandemic, uh, providing guidance and information to those in charge? Oh, not at all. I mean, look, what's happening right now, nobody, nobody could have imagined at all. Um, and uh, and it's, yeah, we need to deal with it as, as we go right now. But all of that, you know, it's like these last nearly two years, it was really like going back to med school. You know, it was like when I was the third year med school student reading this book by Dave Sackett. I just, you know, every day is new again and you just need to uh, absorb what's coming What's new now? And now we're just facing the last challenges. So how does it work with the COVID-19 science advisory table? Like how many of you are on the table? How do you come to consensus and offering guidance to the government leaders? How does that work? Well, so it's it's a volunteer table. So the only positions that are uh, partially covered are... um, uh, members of the Secretariat and myself, actually, uh, because we work nearly full-time, um, and uh, everybody else is there as a volunteer. We meet twice a week, 90 minutes, typically. We, do, we won't meet tomorrow, but uh, but most of the time we have met since, uh, when was that, July 2020. And, uh, and it's basically through discussion. We just share so much of our time together that we really start to, you know, develop a common sense of reality. We have these meetings, we work on slide decks together, we work on briefs together. It's a very collaborative spirit and it's, it's actually extraordinary if it comes just, you know, to the way of just 
experiencing everybody trying to help and everybody just trying to make the best out of it. Well, when you and I talked uh, back in the middle of December and Omicron was just starting to explode, you said to me on the air here on Fight Back, you could scream. Do you still feel that way? No, oh, dear. Well, look, it's this is part of human nature, what we see again and again and again, you know, it's uh, one one um, stage uh, of of uh, grief is basically, basically denial, and uh, sometimes also wishful thinking. And of course, we've seen that again. Um, you know, there were all sorts of misconceptions about how this would all play out, and you know, we now start to see what these numbers that have exploded over the last uh, few days and uh, perhaps two weeks or so, how they start to translate into hospital admission. It's normal. It makes us all human. You know, we just misjudge the situations. And, and it's, you know, some are quite a lot of the discussions we just need to have, even though it's just human psychology that plays, we just need to all absorb. We have a challenge. We need to deal with it now. And it's not always great to be the messenger for that. Are you impressed with the rollout of the booster program so far? I think we're doing really well. So, you know, we, we just uh, had a little dip now over the holidays, which is normal. But immediately before the, before Christmas, we actually made it to 250 doses a day again, which is excellent. We just need to keep going with that as fast as we can, you know, at least until mid-January. Okay, so let's talk about Omicron and what you know as of today about this variant. Yeah, so... You know, the, the most important uh, part for all of us is just to understand that if you have been infected or vaccinated with two doses of the vaccines, you will not be protected against another infection or a first infection in, in case of uh, you having been vaccinated. And that's what gives this variant such an advantage over what we've seen before. We don't know exactly how much more transmissible it is than Delta. It doesn't even have to be. But because it actually infects nearly everybody, unless you have had your third dose, um, it really just spreads extremely widely. And that's also one of the things that really uh, confuses people then. A lot of people out there have had two doses of a vaccine or were infected. They have a lot lower risk to end up, luckily, to end up in our hospitals, which is great news for all of those who have some immunity. The problem is, and that conf- that was really confusing people, that we still have 1.5 million people out there, you know, 12 plus in age, who haven't seen a needle, not immune through vaccination, and most of them not immune through infection. And that's the people at risk. And for those people, we see most likely uh, roughly a halving of the risk of hospital admission and ICU admission, so 50% of what we saw with Delta. But if these people, if there's 1.5 million, get infected all nearly at the same time, you know, within within weeks, basically, we will just have a really, really major challenge in our hospitals. So if you're double vaccinated, you might still contract it and be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms, but you are not likely to go to hospital with serious disease? 
Oh, it can still knock you out quite a bit. You know, I hear now of many people with two doses who weren't really careful. Oh, one of our contractors is actually pretty funny, you know, just admitting to me. I went to a dance hall with, uh, with eight other people and, uh, sorry, seven other people. And out of the, of the eight people, seven, uh, uh, got it. And he's knocked out quite heavily, but he doesn't have to go to the hospital. So he's sort of okay. It's just like a heavy flu for him, okay. for example. But it's not as bad that he would need to go to hospital. That's the point. But so, it can still hit you quite hard. So, Dr. Uni, for those who have yet to be vaccinated or are partially vaccinated with one shot, uh, Omicron could be quite severe. That's the point. Right now, what we know is that uh, on average, 50% reduction in the risk of hospital admission. That's preliminary data. You know, we'll see how this all plays out in a few weeks from now. But that's roughly starting point. I would hope, based on everything we know, you know, that we see that we will see also among unvaccinated people less deaths. But that's just the hope. We don't have good numbers there. And that you would see a bit less even if you end up in hospital a bit less um, ICU admissions. But again, the data there are really wobbly and we can't really tell. Any final thoughts uh, as we talk to you for the last time in 2021? Look, this too shall pass. It will be a really challenging six to eight weeks. But we're in this together and we need to make the best out of it, protect ourselves, protect our beloved ones, Get vaccinated, keep this darn wave as long as we can and make it as long as we can so that our healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed. And when we come out on the other side, things will be better because nearly everybody has received some immunity. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. If you'd like to hear the full conversation, go to our website at zoomerradio.ca, click on podcasts, then fight back with Libby Snymer, and then on the show from this past Wednesday, December 29th. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, our political leaders receive their report cards from Fight Back strategy panelists. That's coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Tuesday, our strategy panelists weighed in on how our political leaders fared during 2021. Specifically, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, and Toronto Mayor John Tory. While filling in for Libby, I was joined by Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, John Capobianco, Conservative Strategist, and Senior Vice President, Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Karen began by explaining that year two of the pandemic provided different challenges for the leaders than the first year. This is a more complicated um, situation, I think, than we have faced previously, uh, because before there was um, a general willingness to follow along with public health and our political leaders because we knew that we were in a situation where, um, you know, people were making the best decisions they could. So we followed along. And, but now it's extremely complicated because there's 
um, differentiations of people that are vaccinated and what does that mean for their ability to continue to travel and go to work. And even with the testing and the signals around how we should, you know, view the seriousness of the situation in terms of the hospital admissions and the testing. And so it's, the messaging becomes extremely difficult now um, because it just with everybody's immunity at different levels and everybody wanting to know what they can do and not do. Um, it's it's not a simple message anymore, and that makes it very very hard uh, for the prime minister. And it's not surprising that we don't have the daily briefings anymore because the messaging is so much more complicated than it was in the early days, which was just to stay home. John, reflecting back on 2021 and Justin Trudeau, and we will talk about um, the unpopular decisions of going to the polls and and not going to a ceremony on Truth and Reconciliation Day, but overall guiding us through year two. Well, I would say, Jane, that I can say this about all three leaders, and in fact, most of them, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster with respect to you know, populations, you know, perception and, and what they've been able to do. And I think it's because, you know, this is a, a pandemic of historic proportions and it's also global. So you're also judged by other jurisdictions, not only, you know, what, what we're doing here in Canada, and you can sort of narrow it down to the province or the city. But if you look at it from a Canadian perspective, you know, you're, you're judged by what other jurisdictions are doing and how they've handled the, the, the pandemic because it's global in nature. And I think the prime minister probably started off the pandemic not so uh, not so good, you know, in a sense that other other countries and other jurisdictions were getting the vaccines a lot sooner than we were. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure that, that, you know, they were saying that we procured a lot of the vaccines, but yet they weren't being delivered. And of course, that disseminated to the provinces. So that became a bit of a challenge. And then I think the other challenge that he faced was the uh, the shutting down of the airport. It wasn't until the provinces, namely mostly Ontario, put pressure on him to shut down airports a lot sooner uh, than he did, which, cut, which, which caused, obviously caused a lot of a lot of uh, uh, travelers to come in here who were affected. Now, that said, I think he certainly, you know, made up for it as the pandemic went on uh, and certainly learned from those mistakes. He certainly shut down the borders a lot sooner this time around when the when not only Delta, but also this new variant came around. And, and I think that was a smart move. And, and I think he also was able to procure uh, vaccines uh, in the millions as a result of some of the slowness that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. So all of the, the challenges that were faced at the beginning, I think most politicians, including the prime minister, were able to learn from that and certainly certainly made uh, made the, the, the right decisions to try to stem as much as you can with what we're facing today. Uh, Charles, uh, John brings up a good point there. At the beginning of the of the year, uh, we were waiting. We were way down at the bottom of the list. Canada was in terms of getting first shots into arms. Now, at the end of the year, we are leading the list of nations, uh, not only with first and second shots, uh, but boosters as well. Yes, we are. And and when I look at all these three individuals, and by the way, I want to preface by saying that I like all of them personally. They're good people. I believe they have good intentions. Some are more politically savvy and calculating than others. And Justin Trudeau, for me, is one of the top in regards to being savvy as a politician. He likes to frame the narrative, which is hard to do, it's similar to what he did with the boxing match, right? He, 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 he positions himself in a way that gives him that celebrity status. But having said that, in this regard, in regards to the pandemic fight, he's been resilient. I mean, he's been pressing for a vaccine. He's been very uh, consistent in his, uh, in his uh, approach. Um, but like Karen mentioned and John, it's a complicated issue. I think we're on a crepus. We're all, it seems to be going into herd immunity with this virus, seeing, seeing as it's not as, 
as uh, intense, but very, um, uh, you know, very transmissible. But yes. what will happen in the end, we'll have to see. But I think Trudeau has actually been seen as being more of a leader in this regard. I though, although if we're going to rate them, I, I do worry about the fiscal policies and mm-hmm. the issues in regards to being more disciplined in our approach. Um, but when it comes to this pandemic fight, I think Trudeau gets gets passed. Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, John Capobianco, Conservative Strategist and Senior Vice President, Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As of this past Thursday, new visitor rules related to the pandemic are in effect for Ontario's long-term care homes. General visitors are temporarily barred from going inside the province's nursing homes, except in situations where a resident is close to death. Designated caregivers may continue to visit residents, but residents, for the time being, will not be allowed to leave for social reasons. Are these the right moves to best protect elderly residents of long-term care during the Omicron surge? And what else should be done? I ask these questions of geriatrician Dr. Samir Sinha and long-term care advocate Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos when they joined me on Thursday. So what is your reaction to the fourth shot rollout? You must have known this was coming. Well, I knew they were doing this in other countries. I know Israel has been leading the the charge in serial dosing, and that's going to come to all of us at some point. But obviously, it tends to roll out in, in, in our most vulnerable populations first. But my main question is, well, hold on. Why are we talking about this when we still haven't even provided boosters, the third doses, to, you know, the majority of staff? And still, you know, just under 20% of our residents don't even have the booster. So can we just deal with focusing on actually rolling out the third doses properly now before we start, you know, trying to distract with talk of fourth doses. I just think, you know, it's another way to make it look like they're doing more when really there are so many other things they should be doing right now and they should have been doing to safeguard this sector ahead of what we're seeing right now. What needs to happen as of today? There's no going back. So what what would you implement province-wide today? Uh, immediately uh, daily testing for all staff. Um, we already daily test essential caregivers. We have to do daily testing in the staff. We have to provide N95 for all staff and visitors at all times. Right now, it's only used when they're dealing with a suspect or confirmed COVID case, resident case. That's just not acceptable, especially when we have, you know, Public Health Ontario saying everyone should be using N95s, even if they're not fit tested right now because of how contagious Omicron is. So, And then really dealing with the surge staffing plan, what's going to happen when these workers are starting to have to isolate en masse because their two doses are not effective against Omicron, effective against, you know, hospitalization, thank God, and and, less severe cases, but they will still have to isolate when they get this. And we're seeing the majority of cases right now are indeed among staff. So who's going to step in and care for these workers? There is no plan right now. Central caregivers are being asked to volunteer and yet they're limiting it down to two. Why? When we have people who are triple vaccinated, you need to fix that and let them in. Obviously, they'll use PPE. They will do whatever you ask them to do, but they are here and want to help. Why are you not letting them in? Let's go to Dr. Samir Sinha now. He is the Director of Geriatrics at Mount Sinai and the University Health Network in Toronto. Dr. Sinha, what do you make of uh, some of these phone calls we're getting? And the lines are jammed with people who have loved ones in long-term care. 
Yeah, no, it, it's sad because, again, we've known that these are the most vulnerable settings in Ontario. Uh, we know that seniors just in general are, are, are people at greatest risk. Uh, people forget that every day we hear about a few deaths here and there. But we've had over 30,000 Canadians die now, and 93% of them have been older people. The majority of them actually in community sweatings. But we know that some of the greatest um, challenges we've had are really caring for people in our long-term care settings. And right now, it's not necessarily the risk of getting COVID in these settings. It's more. The bigger issue we have is that with COVID being out there and, uh, and spreading so quickly, whenever a staff member gets sick or ill, uh, they'll have to isolate. And when we already have precariously staffed homes, we just heard it. You know, there's just not enough staff around to provide basic care needs. And sadly, we think that a number of the deaths that have happened in our care homes were just from residents not even getting their basic care needs met. So that's going to be a bigger issue right now in terms of how we continue to deliver good, high-quality care in long-term care homes, but also in our hospitals. So these are issues that we knew would become problems, uh, that we've had months to kind of better prepare for what we could do. And now, as usual, we're playing a game of catch-up and, mm. and scramble, sadly. Um, and this is affecting people's lives um, everywhere. Any final thoughts uh, as we move forward to... Uh you know, what is apparently becoming an even greater surge of Omicron cases for long-term care, um, what would you like to add? I just want to remember, remind people that, you know, 93% of the folks who died so far in this pandemic have been older people. Um, and it just reminds us that we have long neglected the care of older citizens and, and people. And this is not, and this is what the, the, the whole pandemic has really exposed. So I think it's a matter of, it's not just getting through this next wave, but it's also thinking about how within 10 years, one in four Canadians is going to be an older Canadian. We don't do well compared to international countries in terms of providing the right care in the right place in the right time by the right provider. And we need to really focus how we are going to truly look ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, how are we going to truly respect and support our older people um, over over the coming decades? Because one day it will be us. It will well. be, yes. So let's think about that. My conversation on Thursday with Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Mount Sinai and the University Health Network in Toronto, and long-term care advocate, Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Daryl from Toronto phoned when Dr. Peter Uni was our guest for the entire hour of Fight Back on Wednesday. First of all, I just want to thank Dr. Uni for all his work. Uh, Your professionalism, your demeanor, your advice has been somewhat comforting through all this, so uh, it is appreciated. Thank you, and I also want to thank your show for helping to bring us all this information. It's been helpful. Sita called from Mississauga and gave out marks to our political leaders. 
It was a slow start. No one knew much about the virus. Even now, we're still learning. Um, Mr. Tory, he gets an A+. plus. He pushes the vaccine and is still having given up today. Mr. Ford, I'll give him a low grade because he is not acting fast enough. And Mr. Trudeau, I'm very happy with him, the way he is handling the pandemic moving forward. Definitely a pass. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Joy in Markham, who phoned about staying positive as the pandemic drags on. At age 78, I am still in the workforce, in the nursing homes, taking care of the elderly running after the dementias and uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, it's a very stressful job. And I'd say at my age, I am very grateful that I'm able to rise up every morning and to say, thank you, God, I have a job and I am going to uh, stay active, remain active. I'm not going to go into that couch because um, that couch is going to get me. So um, I just want to say how grateful I am and uh, thank God for that. And uh, I would encourage all those who are suffering with, uh, you know, uh, loneliness and depression and all of the above, just try to stay active or listen to some good music. Stay active. That's my message for everyone. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416 416- Three six seven nine six three six. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.